everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, We are continuing season eight, looking at teens and technology, and Dr. Walt Mueller of Center for Parent Youth Understanding will be joining us today. Uh, We hope you enjoyed our last two episodes in this series. Scott Sauls was on last week, kind of talking about this, not only as a father, but a a senior pastor of a church. And then we had Linda Oliver and Kurt Cooper on um, to talk about this and what they're seeing in youth ministry. And we hope to have A few other youth workers on in a youth panel discussing uh, teens and technology. And uh, next week, we we plan on having Jason Thacker on, who's talking about artificial intelligence and his new book, um, Age of AI. Uh, So we'll be talking about that next week. Um, Just a reminder, too, our Advent study is now live on the website. If you go to rlam.org and check out our resource tab, you'll see Bible studies. And it's a free six-week study, and there are other uh, free studies you can check out. Also, if you go to um, Reformed Theological Seminary's website, rts.edu, RYM has partnered again with uh, RTS Jackson to offer a youth and family ministry course, and so registration for that is taking place. Uh, Just go to their upcoming classes and look at the winter term, and you'll get the details there. Uh, So be sure to check that out as registration has already opened. Uh, Here's my conversation with Walt. hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, Walt, good to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, John. Um, Those who listen to the podcast or go to any kind of RYM conference, uh, youth leader training, or our summer conferences know Dr. Walt Mueller, who is the president of Center for Parent Youth Understanding. Walt, I thought about trying to figure out how many times you've come on the podcast as well, um, but I did not go back and do that. So anyone who listens knows you for the most part. Um, but do you want to tell people just a little bit, cpyu.org, uh, any books you want to point people to, your podcast as well? Why don't you tell them about some resources? Yeah, well, the best way to learn about us is to go to our main website, which is cpyu.org, Center for Parent Youth Understanding. We've been around for 32 years, and we started uh, as, as a result of a mission to help parents in the local church where I was serving as a youth pastor help them understand the changing world of their children and teens. We saw them as cross-cultural missionaries. They realized that's what they were, and they were looking for help in understanding this rapidly changing youth culture. And so we've been doing this for for 32 years, and our, our work really has encompassed a lot more than just parents. We do probably equal amount of work with parents, maybe maybe a little bit more, weighted more heavily on the side of the youth worker. We know that youth workers and youth workers who are listening, for many of you, I mean, you are the gatekeepers for parents and you're the one that needs to encourage and equip them to understand their role as the ones primarily responsible for the spiritual nurture of their kids. So uh, we're trying to help youth workers as well. So we have a, a huge following of youth workers. If you want to read about our books and other resources, just go to cpyu.org. But I will tell you, well, actually, I should tell you before I tell you what I was going to tell you that most everything you find on our website is free and it is populated beyond uh, what's even imaginable to me. And so there's there are search functions there for you to find resources on just about anything right now in youth culture. It's evolving quickly. So we're constantly adding. And so check our site every day, cpyu.org to see what what's new. But you mentioned the podcast, John, and those are two tools that we really hope youth workers will take advantage of. We have a long form podcast. I don't know, 115 or so episodes are out now. Uh, it's called Youth Culture Matters. And we talk about things that matter in youth culture and all from a, a biblical perspective. And again, it's to, to help people, you know, cross cultures. Um, I know that some of the guests we have coming up will talk about things like you know, progressive Christianity. We'll talk about trauma. We'll talk about abuse. Um, we, we've got some great things lined up for the future. And if you go back in the archive, there's some some great conversations with people that many of your listeners here would be familiar with, but even more so some that they might not be familiar with. So just go back and scroll through that and see that. The second podcast is one that we've been doing for about 17 years now and it actually started as a radio show across north america 
a little one minute daily called Youth Culture Today, and you can subscribe to it as you can with Youth Culture Matters as a podcast. And we really are working to encourage and equip parents through that to understand the changing youth culture. So that I tell youth workers all the time is something you want to pass on to parents, your volunteers as well. Uh, But parents would find it especially helpful because when we write and record those, I always have uh, moms and dads in mind. And I really want to stand alongside youth workers as we as we record those. I stand alongside youth workers. You know, what are the kinds of things that youth workers would want parents to hear? And so that is that little one minute, easy to listen to every day. You hear my voice and you hear my wife Lisa's voice, which is a lot more pleasant than mine. Uh, as you know, John, uh, but she's, you know, she's on there as well, the intro and the outro, but uh, those are the, those are the two podcasts. Yeah. And, and quick sidebars, you, you mentioned your wife, Lisa, D- didn't she have some kind of background in radio or some connection to, to radio early on? Is that she right? Runs in, she always runs in hides when we mentioned that, but she was uh, early, earlier on in her life during her college years, she took a job as uh, a disc jockey and she was, you know, spinning records and uh, playing a lot of, you know, contemporary hits. That was the format. It turned to country. The, the station switched over to a country format. That became a little bit more difficult for her. And then we got married. She got out of that. She went back to college, finished out full time and so left that. But she has a great voice. And so she's She's the one that we use on there. We get compliments all the time on her voice. You say, hey, you yeah. on the radio. Well, she was. You know, she won't tell people that, but she was, and highly rated, by the way. Mm-hmm. And she'll probably hate this part of the conversation if she listens to it, right? Yeah. 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 She'll, she'll turn it off quickly. Hear about it. That's what's going <laughs> to happen. You know her well. Yeah. But no, Walt, I always enjoy just getting to see you, getting to have conversation with you and appreciate you coming back on the podcast. Also, uh, I feel like we, we say this all the time, but we want to point people to cpyu.org. I mean, just me giving testimony as a youth worker in the local church, how often I used your website and use your resources and pass them on to parents. And so if anyone listening to this is not doing that, I want to encourage you to go to cpyu.org and just check out. I mean, there's just so much there. Um, so I uh, appreciate what you're doing, Walt, and appreciate you uh, well, coming on to, to talk today. Yeah, absolutely. About teens and technology. So this is uh, season eight of the podcast. And, and to be honest, I don't know exactly where this is going to fall in the order. Um, but I, I wanted us to, to spend more time talking about uh, technology and really kind of zooming in specifically on smartphones and, and social media. Um, as we have this discussion, I mean, Walt, I don't know about you, but there's, there's part of me that that gets a little tired of talking about this. And and I've kind of said that about pornography as well, that, um, it just seems like that's a topic that we just kind of, it's kind of like beating a dead horse, but it, but in a sense, it's something we we've got to continue to be talking about in some ways. I feel like the, the evil one, the ways that he, one of the ways that he works is just to, to wear us out and to, to you know, uh, move us to just kind of tap out on certain issues that are important to be addressing. So I don't, I don't know if you feel that way, Walt. But No, I, I do. And, you know, let me as soon as you said that, John, it, something popped into my mind just to give some perspective on this. You know, I started full time in youth ministry when I graduated from college in 1978. And we we were accused at the time and. You know, I felt like it was a legitimate accusation. We were accused at the time of talking about the, you know, kind of the three big quote unquote evils in the world that the church saw at the time, especially in terms of youth ministry. It's that great uh, triad of drugs, sex, and rock and roll. So, you know, people would say in youth ministry, you got to stop talking about that. And it's not that I was talking about those things a lot. I hope that when we talked about those things, we were talking about them certainly from, you know, a a solid uh, gospel-based perspective. It was not to demonize those things, you know, certainly illicit drug use, (laughs) you know, is not something that we promoted, but we, you know, we would, we would talk about that, but that, that was kind of the stereotype. Okay just in youth ministry in general. And so I think there was a backing off from that. And I've often said that over the course of all the years that I was doing youth ministry, it's over 40 years now, that 
perhaps let's just talk at the issue about sexuality. Look at the confusion that exists in our culture now on matters of sex, sex and gender. Look at how, how often we talk about sex and gender. Look at how much identity of young people and even those who are older are based in nothing other than sex and gender, sexuality and gender. And I don't think in a cultural context where culture is talking about these things 24 seven, that, th that we can talk about them too much. Cause I, I do think we need to bring a proper perspective on these things, you know, and I, so, so I, I if we switch over to social media and you've got me thinking here now, yeah, I get a little bit tired. We often say internally, you know, here at CPYU, if we, we get tired of hearing ourselves talk about things, but then we remind ourselves we might be the only ones in mm -hmm. our particular world talking about them. So we get tired of hearing ourselves speak. But every time we speak these things, there are people who hear these things for the first time, mm -hmm. who need to hear these things, and who maybe have heard these things before, but are hearing them in new ways as the Holy Spirit works in their in their lives, I hope, uh, for the first time in ways that will truly be transformative and redemptive for them, you know, will lead mm -hmm. to their, to use this term, flourishing, which I love, because that's what God intends for us. So, look, if if our kids are immersed in something, if adults are immersed in something, if the culture's talking about it 24-7, I think we need to, to do that as well. I think we need to speak the truths of God's word into the realities that exist. So, yeah, you're right. I get tired of talking about it. But I think it's right for us to continue to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Now, that's, that's a good word for sure. And as you're saying, you know, it might be the first time that somebody hears this. I'm also thinking of, of youth workers as you're dealing with students. I can just think of, you know, I, I felt like I would repeat some of the same messages over and over to students, but you're always getting a new group of students. And by God's grace, I mean, youth workers are using a mighty way to shape the worldview of young students uh, for the rest of their lives. And so just encouraging those youth workers that are out there uh, to continue to, to beat that drum and to, uh, you know, remind students of the dangers of social media, even though as we we'll acknowledge, it can be used for good as well. And, and as you said something while you talked about, you know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And obviously th those were, you know, huge idols back in the day. They're still huge idols today, but it is kind of interesting to see how, social media and technology have replaced those idols in a lot of ways. When you think of, you know, Jean Twangy's research that she, you've had Jean Twangy on your, your podcast and her book, iGen, and she talks about just how students are engaging in less risky behavior, partially because of, you know, uh, they're, they're afraid of the, the future and resume building and all of that being posted online. But then also so many of them are just isolating themselves in their room. And so there's a sense in which we see this, we should see some increased concern over this kind of replacing uh, those idols of the past. Again, not saying those don't exist, um, but but also we've seen a decrease in, you know, risky drug use as well as, or, or drug use, drug abuse, as well as, uh, you know, fornication, premarital sex. I mean, some of those things seeing a decrease among teens. Um, so it's just kind of interesting how those have replaced each other in a sense. Um Go for it while you're about to say yeah, Well, I was just going to say, you know, those things, when we talk about sexuality, when we talk about substance abuse, you know, God has made us to be integrated, integrated beings. So body, you know, soul, spirit, however you want to define that, we don't separate. And what we do with one affects everything else, you know, so even at the level of our physical selves or the biochemical reactions that take place in our bodies and even in our brains, the intricacy, the, the, the glory with which God made us, those things in the past prior to, to social media and technology that we could become so easily addicted to for a variety of different reasons, okay? I mean, it's, it's, and, and, and each story is different. Social media now and technology, and the research is showing this. Those who are constructing these things are these tools are are know this because they're manipulating things through the creation of tools and apps. Um, they 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 do something to us and they become addictive. They they're catalysts for 
reactions in our brains and ultimately in our bodies. And we have to be careful about how they use how we use them because they they become just as addictive as anything else. Mm-hmm. And you know, in a broken, in a fallen, a broken world where we understand sin, our inclinate our sinful inclinations, our default settings towards certain beliefs and behaviors. Social media really and and technology really plays into that well, and we mm-hmm. have to be extremely careful. And it's not just teaching our students to do that. It's as youth workers navigating that well, walking that tightrope well ourselves, constantly never letting our guard down, and certainly for adults, you know, to do the same, parents to do the same thing. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and and actually, I mean, that's where we're going to get in just a minute. We're kind of teasing out the the rest of the, of the episode is um, w- with all of the statistics that are coming out, the the concerning trends. I mean, something we we don't need to take lightly at all. Uh, of just how technology, how social media specifically um, is, is harming this next generation. Um, as you know, we think of Jean Twangy's article, you know, have smartphones destroyed a generation. That was the title of her article in the Atlantic that kind of sent shockwaves through our culture. Okay. If that's true, then, you know, how should youth workers be utilizing these tools in their own ministry? Um, but before we get to that, so I just want to let our listeners know, we're going to get into that question and just kind of unpack that a little bit. Well, why don't we turn this on ourselves a little bit um, uh, to, to say, you know, we, we are not immune uh, to these issues, not, not only as adults, but us just speaking specifically of our own lives. Um, maybe talk a little bit about just some of the concerning trends you've kind of seen in your own life as you seek to use, you know, let's just say Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I'll, I'll share yeah. that as well. But I mean, d- definitely looking at our own hearts with this. Yeah, so I'll tell you how, a little bit about how I've navigated it. And, you know, as you ask that question, two things pop into mind, which are concerns for me personally, you know, looking at me, my concerns personally, because I think it's important that we start with a deep, deep understanding of our own human depravity and to ever say, well, that would never happen to me. You know, when you look at some of the, the stories of individuals in their their downfalls, they're spiraling down into sin and the undoing of themselves. And even for those of us who are in ministry, the undoing of our ministries, the undoing of our families. I think we have to reckon first with the fact that we're incredibly broken and we have default settings. I like to call it that because of our sin, uh, bents towards certain things. So I would guess that just from what I read and my conversations with others, that the two areas that right off the top of my head concern me the most uh, would be rather universal, you know, to everybody. One would be diversion, um, that social media technology becomes a diversion away from things that I should be spending my time on. And that, that runs the gamut, you know, those things run the gamut from the real flesh and blood human relationships that will only flourish when there is a conscious inve- uh, in investment made in them. So your marriage, your kids, your youth group, your friendships, uh, all those things. And, you know, so functioning as a diversion, I mean, this is like, or as an escape, we could say, from the realities of life. Television has been this for a long time. Music can become that. Um, certainly, you know, drugs and, and sex, as we were mentioning before, can become those things. You know, gambling can become that. You know, there's all kinds of things, you know, our addiction to playing sports or exercise or what. I mean, good things that, you know, we've heard this before. You know, an idol is a good thing that becomes, a, 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 a you know, an ultimate thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't want to jump in on, on you there, but I mean, just... Echoing uh, what you're saying about diversion, um, you know, and I, I think uh, Tony Reinke, who will actually be on this podcast a little bit later, um, uh, I think had an entire chapter, you know, talking about that. But but noticing that in my own life, um, uh, you know, for for some reason the, the Lord, uh, I guess, gave me the discipline of when I got in my car. When I get in my car, I typically just it's it's a knee jerk to start praying, and it's just kind of that's how I, I begin my drive. It's kind of become a pattern, but. I say that to say this, that I've noticed how listening to podcasts has often replaced that <laughs> and mm-hmm. how 
I, podcasts are a great thing. I mean, this is a podcast, Lord willing, that will serve God's kingdom and uh, can be useful, uh, you know, by God's grace to be be used by other people. But I can see how I often want to distract myself from from praying and just as we had David Murray on this podcast not too long ago, him saying being alone with oneself, just being present and being kind of in the moment, and how yeah, distraction is such uh, just a, a a bent of a broken human heart to distract from our own brokenness, to distract from issues we should be dealing with in the world, all of those things. And so, yeah, just echoing your statement about diversion. Yeah. And, and, you know, John, you mentioned something there uh, that that sparked a thought just about habits because God actually created us to be creatures of habit. We have that built into us and good habits can make us, you know, form us in positive ways. Bad habits can deform us and undo us. And, you know, that's one of the principles of idolatry. You've heard it stated this way. I think Jamie Smith talks about this in in, uh, the title of one of his books, which I've read. We've had him on our podcast. You know, you are what you love. Or you a a principle related to idolatry is you become what you worship. So your habits do form you. So it's that conscious effort we need to make to realize you know, to ask the questions and to stand back and look at what our habits are, much like you're doing as you think about what happens to you when you get in the car. Well, now there's a threat to that. And the threat is not a bad thing. The threat is a good thing. Podcasts, when engaged with in proper measure, right, to, that, that that can be a good thing. So now you have to make adjustments based on maybe adjustments that just sort of happen in your life through decisions you made over time without really thinking about how those could undermine or sh- undermine or shift you away from, you know, where your attention should be. So again, I think it's important for us to look at what our diversions are. And let me say this, you know, sometimes your spouse or the people close to you, closest to you, and we all hate this, right? will call out our diversions. <laughs> um, typically in the moment, uh, not with, tremendous amounts of grace or kindness and it hits you like somebody threw a cinder block at your head and our tendency then is to argue back but you know reality you know perception is reality and you may think you're not spending too much time there you're not you're not you may think you're not diverting away from things that are more important but if the person you're diverting away from as a result of your habits ceases an issue or the measure is just too much well then that's what it is mm-hmm. you can't argue that because yeah. it, it's undermined something that's really important mm-hmm. yeah i think i think paul david tripp calls those truth grenades um that you know sometimes he says that in an accusatory way of we've got to be cautious in how we lob the truth in people's lives but at the same time we should receive those gr- grenades or cinder blocks as you said because uh, they can be Helpful. And I mean, you know, just as you're talking about this diversion, uh, I mean, I think of how we, you know, our idols are false refuges. Uh, they're, they're a false sense of refuge that we're running to all the time. And um, yeah, we're just, you know, seeking shelter in, in something that ultimately uh, isn't the Lord and cannot fulfill us and cannot give us the relief that we're often seeking. And so again, we just distract from it. And so you said diversion is, is one big way. Uh, What's, what's the second one? Well, idolatry really is at the root of the second one. And that is, you know, our bent, my bent towards putting myself at the center of the universe and wanting to use these tools in ways that glorify self rather than glorify God. And it's so easy to fall into that because these tools are designed for that. So for me, early on, you know, the only place that I really have been on social media in a personal way is on Facebook. Uh, I don't have a personal Twitter account. When Twitter first came out and it seemed to be a place where, and I've, I watched people close to me, you know, really, I thought, come undone because they're telling me and the rest of the world everything they're doing for every minute and showing me what they're doing, showing me what they're putting in their mouths to eat, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I started to think, number one, this is not only a great time waster, but man, this could really fuel uh, an an unhealthy sense of self-importance 
and you know trying to build you know now you've got to try to build a following we see that with kids right the social capital is the likes the followers and you know so you start to live into that and you're living not to the glory of god but to the glory of self and seeking to develop a following rather than being a follower of christ and that's idolatry you know i mean ultimately that's what got our first parents in trouble and so quickly you know i i I go back to what the enemy said initially it all started with did god really say you know how many times has, has that question popped into my mind maybe not with those words but the doubt comes in when i desire to choose a path for my life either in the moment or long term that just steers away from god's will and way for my life so you know the narcissism that's there i think we all have a have a i'll tell you if you if you think you don't have it you're really in trouble i think we need to be really aware of just how strong that pull is to put ourselves at the center of the universe and take god's place and boy does social media ever play into that i'm not demonizing social media we have to use it in the right way but it really plays into that absolutely and i think you're you're wise Really, where so many Christians need to to start is just a doctrine of sin and understanding our our own brokenness. And so, as we pick up, you know, a smartphone or get on a social media platform, I mean, we we have got to be so suspicious of ourselves, of our intentions, of how we will use this thing to our own destruction. Kind of as you said, and and really, as some of what we were getting into, kind of pre-recording while we were. Uh, kind of talking about Twitter specifically, but how it ends up shaping us. And specifically, it maybe as we're thinking of youth workers or those who are speaking, teaching, kind of shaping our talks and, uh, you know, a certain amount of characters of kind of a one-liner that will, could be used and, and retweeted. And um, it, it shapes how we receive information, but then how we're also communicating w- with others. And so, I just think that's something that we've got to be aware of, you know, as so many stats are saying, you know, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And I know um, I'm forgetting who wrote uh, Gen Z, uh, but him saying that uh, I think we have the attention span of a goldfish now. I don't know exactly how they measured that, um, you know, but it is uh, something for sure. We can say our attention spans are getting shorter and uh, the way we disperse knowledge and uh, communication, uh, you know, is, is definitely catering to that. Um, well, I'd like to transition a little bit. Um, I know that you have had a lot of groups talking about the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Uh, you've talked to a lot of youth workers. And so let, let's maybe get into youth ministry a, a little bit. Um, maybe some of what's come to the come to the surface from, from those discussions that you've had. I mean, you can give a little bit of an explanation just to our listeners of what you've done with some of these groups and then maybe uh, some of the trends that you've seen kind of come to the, the surface from those discussions. Yeah, so what we've done here at CPYU, we, we watched the film The Social Dilemma, and I highly recommend that if you have not watched it, uh, watch The Social Dilemma, stream it on Netflix. I sometimes get Netflix and Amazon mixed up about what I watch where, but um, it's worth watching. It's funny. It's an hour and a half. It's a documentary. It's not an action flick. You're not going to be see you know superheroes in costumes, but it is quite compelling. And let me just say, as a documentary, as an aside, this is the difference between generations. I think that we're seeing in terms of attention span. When I first started to hear about the social dilemma, there seemed to be this line of demarcation among people who were posting about it and raving about it, and the line was was on age. So some of the older folks would say, man, you got to watch the social dilemma. It's an hour and a half that really takes you deeply into what's happening, you know, in terms of the science of addiction and how social media is created to function, how it, how it deliberately manipulates us. Okay, that's what it is. But then I'd hear younger folks say, man, I, I just got through the first half of the social dilemma. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it is amazing, right? You know, I, 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 I'm going to watch the second half later. It was interesting to me because when I watched it, I thought, yeah, this takes a little bit of work to get through. And just even the way we've been socialized or nurtured into sitting and listening based on where we're at age-wise and generationally, that was coming out. 
And I, I chuckled about that a little bit with some of my younger friends who said, yeah, I couldn't watch it in one sitting. It was just <laughs> too much drudgery and boredom. But, you know, so that that's, was interesting. I mean, that's a that's a that's a that's a byproduct, right, mm-hmm. of, you know, what's happened with us regarding our attention spans. So that was interesting. But what we've done is then we've had these online discussions. We limit them to about 20, 25 people and we get together on, you know, go to meeting. Uh, go to meeting, I should say, as opposed to Zoom, because go to meeting we actually started using over 10 years ago here at CPYU when it first came out. So we subscribe to it, we use it. And when, when all the COVID stuff broke, we didn't have to deal with um, you know the security issues with Zoom because go to meeting has that built in. That's not an ad for go to meeting, but uh, it's, it's kind of like the apology I give for having an Android phone and a PC rather than an iPhone and a Mac, right? I get hassled for that all the time. Um, but but then we, we've just talked about it. And and so I would encourage youth workers to not only watch it, but then discuss it in community, get together. And what we've done with that is we've used some basic questions. We started actually with four questions. We've now narrowed it down to two because we just found that in our hour long discussions, four were too many. But for the four questions, we used Richard Osmer's questions that are part of practical theology. You know, the first one is to watch objectively what is happening. The second one is to determine why it's happening. You know, what, why is this happening? The third one is to look at the scriptures and say, you know, from the scriptures, what should be happening? Is there a corrective that needs to, to take place? Are we, are we off base here? And, you know, because of common grace, we can find some good things. Uh, in the culture as well. So what should be happening? And then the fourth question is, you know, how do we respond? What do we do now? How do we make what should be happening happening? And those are great questions for youth workers to ask, for parents to ask about every trend you see coming down the line. So what we've done now with our with our conversations, we've just say said, you know, what what um, what is happening? And then uh, we've looked at, you know, what should be happening? How do we make that happen? We've narrowed it down to two things. And there's never enough time for the conversations, which seems to indicate to me that this is a this is a big deal that really needs to be discussed. But we're using these as springboards, hoping that youth workers will then go back into their local communities or with their parents and engage in these conversations, you know, with parents. We did find that when the conversations have parents weighing in, especially moms, there's there's a there's a much more of a depth and a richness to our conversations because moms seem to get it. They're in the thick of it, um, even more so than youth workers. We've, we've been impressed by the depth that parents bring to these conversations because they see firsthand, you know, what this stuff is doing to their kids and to their families in negative ways and wanting to work that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something too, just, just kind of along these lines, um, there was an old CNN documentary entitled Being 13. Um, that, you know, I haven't seen it in a while, so it's probably a little bit. That was, that was Anderson Cooper, right? That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And and so I'm thinking, you know, if there's a venue in which youth workers are, are trying to, to screen something like this, I remember we showed this to our parents. It's free on YouTube. Uh, so it's maybe 40 minutes long, so it's shorter. Um, but that was something that was very helpful just to, to be able to show it to parents and have a discussion kind of beforehand and, and afterhand. And so if, you know, if uh, you don't have Netflix or if you're not able to watch something, this would be something similar along those lines that I think could be a helpful tool. Um, but, but yeah, Walt, as you said earlier, I mean, we've talked about addiction and I mean, social dilemma, I mean, highlights that, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with the social dilemma, there are many you know, engineers with Google, designers of Instagram, Pinterest, other things uh, that that are on this documentary saying that they they knew what they were doing and they were creating these devices to be addictive and they have algorithms set up to make them more addictive. And we know that this addiction is a serious issue, but it's also connected to depression. It's connected to anxiety. We know pornography is all over every, you know, social media platform. And so there are a lot of concerning aspects to uh, social media and to think about the fact that, you know, many preteens are getting these devices. And so kind of what I want us to get into and discuss a little bit is, okay, if that's true of these devices, if that's true of these platforms, 
why are youth workers using these with their students? Um, are they encouraging this be behavior? How should they be using these platforms? And so let's kind of dig into that a little bit, Wal. What, what are some thoughts you have on that uh, with this being so concerning? Is it extreme to say, you know, youth workers might not want to utilize this in their ministry? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's, that's a new question for me to consider because up to this point, the question I've been asking and working to answer is, okay, these tools are here. How do we best utilize them to the glory of God? Because the tools themselves in many ways are good gifts that we can use in the direction of building God's kingdom here on earth. You know, certainly we can use these things to communicate that which is good, true, right, and honorable. During a COVID time, we can use these things to facilitate the, the development of what was our flesh and blood community or the sustainability of it, at least at some level, when we can't meet together. So I'm not a person who's going to say these tools are evil. I, I just, I don't see that. Um, I see, however, tremendous potential for good and tremendous potential for harm. And this is why the question you just asked, John, is really important because when you look at this in the, in the larger scheme of life and time and history, we are now just a step or two into what many have called the digital frontier. And it's, a, it's gonna be a long journey. And the decisions we make now on the tools that we use and how we use them and the borders and boundaries, let's say that parents build into their families and that youth workers build into their own lives and teach their students are going to have a profound effect down the road on whether or not our students and our families and even ourselves flourish or come undone. They can either shape us in a good way or misshape us. So that's kind of, you know, how I would, would frame an initial response to what you're saying. I, and, and part of that is, I'm not gonna write off your question. And I think anybody who writes off that question as like a ridiculous suggestion, you know, John, why would you ever suggest that or even ask that? They would do so to their own demise. Because I'm going to say this, Marshall McLuhan, everybody thought he was nuts, you know, um, social, uh, 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 you know, kind of a social critic and, a, and an expert on media, he wrote the book, The Media is the Message. And one of the things he said back decades ago was first we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. And typically, we shape the tools, we enlist them because we think they're great, we think they're cool, we think they're going to be so helpful to us. And it's not until we've enlisted them four, five, six years down the road, as our kids come of age, or our families start to come undone, that we begin to ask questions and say, why did I ever do that? Because you don't see the results until later on down the road. And this is why I think it's important for us to ask this question and to step cautiously because it is a minefield. Mm -hmm. and if we're just if we're just jumping ahead and running ahead, we're going to step on some mines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And and as we've said on this podcast before, and, and to say <clears throat> technology is a good gift from God, um, we, we definitely, you know, as we look at Genesis one twenty six to twenty eight, <clears throat> the creation mandate, an aspect of that is to advance technologically speaking, and so we would say. Technology is a good thing, you know, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's something that you bring up on your, your podcast all, all the time. And so we are fallen creatures, but our technology is also fallen. And so how do we redeem this? Um, but something I, I did want to ask, because on the social dilemma, they, they bring this up, that as we refer to these as tools, uh, one guy, I cannot remember who, who said it on the social dilemma, that he said, you know, our smartphone and social media, it is not a tool. Because a tool is, you know, he gives, I think, the example of a hammer that sits, you know, patiently waiting on us to use it, you know, out in our tool shed or something. It's just sitting there. It's not asking for us to use it. Well, our smartphone, as well as social media platforms, as I've heard others say, it's like the insecure friend always asking for your attention, always asking for you to look at it. And so there is something unique and different about it. I'm not saying it's not necessarily a tool but maybe we should categorize it as something 
different because it is, and as all of these engineers said, it is designed to draw you in and it's designed to, to you know, make you more addicted to it. So just react to that statement about calling it a tool and, and some thoughts there that make this a little more unique in how we utilize it. Yeah, I, I think in some respects, as I hear you talk about that, you mentioned the hammer, it's kind of like a Trojan hammer, <laughs> you know, like a Trojan horse, right? Um, there, there, there are great ways to use it, but man, when you open that thing up, there's a lot of stuff that sneaks out and attacks and can even take over, you know? So, you know, I guess, I guess maybe that's my initial reaction. I hadn't really thought about that before. I just find that if I go back to the metaphor of a tool, I can use a tool to construct or I can use a tool to destruct. You know, even even good things God gave us like fire and water in a broken world. You know, water gives life, but water can drown. You know, fire warms and sustains, it cooks, but it can also, you know, consume us. And, you know, if we're not careful, so it's navigating it that way. I have to think about that some more. I, but I do think, you know, it is, look, every single one of those people that was interviewed on that film, every single one of them said that they were lamenting in, at some level what they had done. Mm-hmm. And they were young and they were bright and they were articulate. And they're saying things like, Absolutely not. We don't let our kids go near this stuff because they made it and they know the power of it. They know what they build into it. And it has these, you know, when you think about artificial intelligence, these algorithms take on a life of their own. So let's just think for a minute about, you know, this this cultural moment we're in and the election and the 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 you know the arguments we're having over social matters of social justice and that sort of thing. They set it up where if if you're going to get your news from social media, whatever you click on, you're going to get fed more of that. So the perspective is mediated and you are going to be fed more of the spec- perspective you've been given rather than something, because I don't think it exists anymore in any media, that would be called fair and balanced. Mm-hmm. And that's not a nod to Fox News, by the way. I'm just saying that's a term that I don't think any media is fair, fair and balanced. Absolutely. And and I mean, as you know, the social dilemma illustrates, I mean, the echo chambers have only (laughs) increased through social media platforms where we cannot even consider the other perspective. I would also throw out Ben Sass's uh, book entitled Them. And I think subtitle something along the lines of why we hate each other and what we can do to to change. But, But he talks about, you know, the bias in news organizations and, and really him being, you know, uh, a guest on many of these media outlets and kind of seeing some of the behind the scenes that he's able to share. And so, yeah, I, I would echo that and completely well, I, agree yeah. with that. For you, sure. know, you know, I've gotten to the point, John, where, you know, here at CPYU, we've, you know, we've been able to, been on Fox News, we've been on CNN, you know, multiple newspaper outlets, other television and media outlets. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm at a point now where if we get a call that a reporter wants to talk to me about something, uh, uh, you know, I don't I don't do it. I just don't do it because it's I'm going to be misrepresented. I know that it's happened enough to know that. And so if they push hard enough, I will say to them, I'm willing to talk to you if you're willing to let me read your your sense of what I've said before you publish it or before you broadcast it and put it out there, because I don't want to be misrepresented. And that's like the cardinal sin to ask a writer <laughs> to look at and approve, you know, what they're, what they're writing. And I would say on a couple of occasions, people have bit for that. I've had the opportunity to say, you know, that really the way you, you misquoted me there. Um, can you, can you edit that? Can you change that? But rarely does, rarely do I, does that happen? Does that happen? I just think it's futile. I mean, there's other ways for me to use the tools that we've been given to communicate. And, you know, I don't have a need to be, you know, to be on the, on the news. And I certainly don't have a need to be on the news and be misquoted, which, which by the way, when you see that happen now, everything I watch when I listen to people, Mm-hmm. especially with the political ads that have been on this last political season, you know, we just, Lisa and I just sit there and we're going, 
I wonder what the real context of that comment was. Mm-hmm. That person's been misquoted, you know, and it doesn't matter which side you're talking about. We just, yeah, it's, it's so troubling. And this is where one of the things I want to say to youth workers and the parents, you've got to remember that just like our kids are immersed in this 24-7 soup, you know, they're marinating in this 24-7 soup of technology and social media, you are too. And when you balance that out with the time and effort you put into the study of Scripture, you start to see a, a large imbalance. And very quickly, even though we will say that our intent is to look at everything through the framework of a biblical world and view the lens of God's Word, to evaluate culture and everything we see in here through the truths of God's Word, somehow, some way, there's a tipping point where all of a sudden, and we don't even realize it, we're doing the exact opposite. It's going in the other direction. We're viewing God's word through the culture, you know, through, you know, the, the, cat, the catechesis we've received, you know, the training we've received through the culture. And now we start to really misread God's word and tweak it to our culturally shaped preferences. Mm-hmm. And that can happen just so quickly. This is why Christian community, multi-generational, intergenerational Christian community, where we tap into the wisdom of those who have walked this journey before us, not just those who are living, but those who are dead, you know, through their writings and such. So important. It's Mm -hmm. just so important for us to see clearly. And we need to teach our kids to do the same. Absolutely. Well, there's so much helpful stuff there steering us back to just thinking about social media and youth ministry and and youth workers using that as an aspect of of their ministry. I'd love to talk about pitfalls a little bit, um, and maybe even kind of going back to your the, the way you initially framed this discussion, thinking of our own depravity. Um, and so youth workers listening to this, even parents listening to this, uh, being aware of our own depravity. Um, some of the pitfalls that you would want to warn youth workers about while trying to utilize this, if we want to call it a tool, utilize this tool in in their own ministry. What are some of those pitfalls that kind of come to mind? Yeah. And and let me say beyond the fact that all of us who are listening to this and, and you and I on here are horribly broken human beings who have bents towards this. Since you're saying specifically about youth workers, let's be honest. This is, um, lonely, sometimes very difficult ministry where because of the loneliness and the difficulty, we get we, we start to sway towards using things in a way that would anesthetize us to our loneliness and our hurt and our pain and, and so to a lot of the, the more inappropriate things. And Again, so, so just be aware of that. I think we're especially susceptible to this. And then you throw on top of that, that our high calling, this high privilege, high calling we have is to go against the enemy and to build the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of the world, the flesh and the devil are really going to come at us. And that's where, you know, we understand social media is a playground where that enemy who sneaks around like a roaring lion is waiting. And so you have to be aware of that as well. Um, you know, be watchful, right? That's what we're told. Be watchful, be sober-minded. So, and, and Walt, I'm already going to jump in on you just to underscore this point. Um, to me, that is so significant. Uh, you, you know, as I was presenting this question to you, I didn't know necessarily which direction you were going to go, but this is such a huge point where, you know, you might could say this is kind of the umbrella point, this loneliness, and then so many aspects of, the, the brokenness is going to mess, manifest itself underneath this point. Um, because I mean, ministry, I mean, goodness, you know, before social media, before smartphones is a lonely, um, often dark, uh, place and, and calling. Um, but because there is, you know, I believe a, a unique spiritual, uh, aspect, you know, to this calling unique attack that, you know, as what we think of scripture saying teachers will be judged more harshly. I, I do think that there is something about that, you know, the evil one, he, he has a, maybe we could say a larger target on the back of those, those in ministry. And oftentimes this loneliness, uh, just seems to be such an important aspect to highlight. So I just wanted to underscore that a second before you, you move on to, 
or whatever else. Yeah. What kind of warnings you'd like to give? Yeah. So, so here's a practical one. Um, and this flows out of, you know, my 40 plus years in ministry. And, you know, I, when I, when I first started in youth ministry, there was this in the insecurities, you know, that I had a human as a human being there, there was this nice part of youth ministry that you have a bunch of young human beings who are listening to what you say, who are quote unquote following you. And you can very quickly start to misplace the source of your identity and you know you, you, your validation as a human being, not in who you are in Christ, but that you've got these followers, all right? So that was tough. That was tough to navigate. And, I, and I'll tell you, I wasn't, I didn't know it was happening when it was happening, but in hindsight, you know, I can look back to my younger self and I can see that. All right. Now you've got a world where you've got these, this greater ability to reach out to a larger number of people. And even in the world of youth ministry, it's not just your little following of students. But you can work much like kids, you know, aspire to become a, a YouTube hero or an influencer or a celebrity. You can pursue that as well. And so it's interesting to me. And this is not I'm not thinking of anybody in particular here, but it's interesting to, to me to see how how so many people right now in the world of youth ministry want to develop a national or an international following. And they do so by. Like I've seen posts where it says, hey, I, I know a lot of people out there follow podcasts. If I had a podcast, what kind of podcast would you want to listen to? Which to me is an insane question because what's driving you to have a podcast? You know, I mean, and that that can be a diversion. Just that whole thing can be a diversion away from what you're called to do in your local church setting. That you're now putting all your time and your energy into that. There's so many things that come down the road in the world of youth ministry that, um, you know, I really believe the enemy uses to divert us away from the, the people and the message we should be focusing on. But that says to me, you know, I don't really have a message or something that's burning within me. Mm-hmm. I just want to develop a following. So please tell me what topic I could address. I may not have any, any sense of, of passion or knowledge or anything about that particular topic you know, that would make me want to have that podcast. I mean, that's just crazy. But, you know, it's the same thing with blogs. It's, you know, a YouTube channel, whatever. Absolutely. And, you know, so I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. I, you know, our dear friend, you know, one of my best friends in ministry, Duffy Robbins and I, all the years of being at the youth worker conventions, you have to understand that we were there presenting, not just, not because we asked to, we never asked to do that. It was just that someone saw something we were doing in our ministry that seemed a little unique. Can you come talk about that? And I'll just speak for me. There was tremendous anxiety and nervousness about that. Was it really that important? So, you know, started to do that. Well, in the process of that, you know, you have a bunch of people come up to you. Younger youth workers are saying, hey, how can I do what you do? Oh, you mean study culture? You want to learn how skills? No, no. How can I speak? How can I stand up and speak? And, you know, some of these folks are a year, less than a year, two, three years into their local church youth ministries. What are you going to talk about? It's not that you have something burning inside of you that the Lord has called you to, where the Lord is opening doors for you to speak about these things, doors that you you may have never asked for, and you don't even want to walk through, but rather it's now you're trying to make a door and go through that to develop an audience and a following. And you can... I'm just going to say this, the older I get, the more in tune you are with seeing that happen. Just do what you've been called to do and do it with a passion and let the chips fall where where they may. Another thing I would say about that is you don't have to tell everybody about what you're doing, you know, about the great things you're doing. I I see this with parents. I see it with students. I, I see the temptation to it in myself as well. When you, why do we have to put our accomplishments out there on social media? Just, just do it as unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't look for followers and likes and things like that. And by the way, it's not just what we put out there, you know, textually, I'm saying in our posts, 
um, you know, through words, but what we post with our pictures. And we're actually now curating these things. And like you said, we're going back. And as we lead and as we teach, we're looking for these little pithy, tweetable statements that can be put out there. And granted, when someone speaks and they're speaking wisdom, you're going to find those things. But when you're on the side of constructing your talks and all you want to do is do that, you know, in an effort to build a following, um, your your text is not what your text should be, mm-hmm. if, we, if we should say it that way. So I, I know I sound like, oh, man, I'm listening to myself. Or it sounds like an old guy who's such a downer. <laughs> I really lament these things, John, because it's 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 not that it bothers me. It's that it's undoing the people who are doing these things. And I want to see God's kingdom expand and grow. And I want to see all of us in youth ministry be good examples of, of humility and gentleness and kindness and self-control and lead kids to do the same. Yeah, no, no. Well, you don't sound like the grumpy old man to, to quote you. Um, I think it kind of goes back to really how we started this conversation of, you know, it, we can get tired of talking about these things, but, but it's important to highlight these things to, to be cautious. I mean, all of us need to hear that and to be cautious of, of our own hearts and something along these lines too, that, that, uh, you know, I think of kind of the numbers game that we can all play in ministry, um, you know, and just thinking of how that manifested itself at, uh, before, you know, social media, just showing up at a retreat and, and, being the the smaller group and you see the larger groups that show up and they've got more students and, and all that. Well, now just thinking of how so many youth workers can share, you know, their large group meetings or, or whatever it is on social media to have, you know, more of a, an image of, Hey, we've got this big ministry and you know what that can, how that can add to the loneliness maybe of a youth worker that's out there that's on social media and thinks, you know, I wish my group was this size. It's just interesting how, and, you know, this gets into the identity issues you were bringing up, but maybe talking about that, because I know we're going to be wrapping this up a, a little bit, but just kind of creating that ministry uh, on social media and what the cool ministry may look like and kind of, you know, even curating our group and uh, what we're doing. Yeah, just maybe react to that a little bit, Walt. Yeah, that's a good thought. I have to, I have to think about that a little more, John, but one of the things you sparked when you said that was, you know, the difference between um, a post-social media world uh, or, or you know, during social media world as opposed to a pre-social media world when I started doing youth ministry. And, you know, many who are listening, they, they started parenting. They, they grew up during that time and they were doing ministry during that time. Is The kind of comparison game that you just mentioned there did take place. I saw it every year when I attend the National Youth Workers Convention. And this was not something that anybody planned. And I was going as a youth worker. I was not going as a presenter. And I remember it was kind of like a bodybuilding competition, you know, youth workers walking around figuratively speak, you know, metaphorically speaking, you know, um, not literally, but, you know, with a tank top on or their shirt off and they're all greased up and they're flexing their muscles. Hey, look, you know, this and you'd hear it in the discussions, you know, like one of the questions that usually drove me nuts is, um, you know, how many kids are you running? You know, like, like that's the first question. Like, tell me about you. How many kids you're running? You know, so it's all attendance. It's, it's human metrics and, you know, business world success me- metrics, quote unquote, rather than God's metrics. And so there was this, it was, it was just all this jockeying to be the alpha dog. And I remember standing back and watching and going, this is really hard to be here because of this. Now it happens 24 seven on social media because you've got thousands of youth workers in these Facebook groups, you know, and there's multiple Facebook groups and there are wonderful things that happen in there and encouragement and sharing, but there's also very destructive things that happen there that are all part of this game. And when you're in the midst of it, you feel like, you know, you, you want to become like the people you're spending your time with. It's just a natural progression. So, well, let me, let me, let me do it this way. Let me, let me talk about, because I'm not running a local church youth ministry right now. Okay. Um, I think people who are, who are running a local church ministry could probably speak more directly to your question, but let me answer it in terms of how I deal with this personally. 
And I think this can translate over. And this has come through, you know, some some trial and error over the years and knowing my own brokenness. So would it be okay if I share some of my own borders and boundaries for the one place that I'm at on social media and that's Facebook? No, I, I don't think that'd be helpful. Okay, good. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to do it <laughs> yeah. anyway. Um, thanks. Thanks for giving me not, uh, permission there, John. Um, so, so here's, here's what I try to do because people say, how do you, you know, if you're on there, how do you push back on these, you know, especially this tendency towards narcissism and, you know, our, our issue here is we're, we're running a ministry that is not a local church youth ministry, but one that's producing resources that we want people to hear about. So we have to be very careful there as well. We're producing this for people and without, without the ability of social media to talk about these things, it's dangerous. So this is why I'm on, I mean, we could fail. This is why I'm on Facebook, all right? So with Facebook, with my own personal page, and I don't do this really well all the time, and please know that the gnawing sense of the need to promote self just rears its ugly head consistently, all right? You've got to know about that. But so I've set up some borders and boundaries for myself where I use Facebook to inform. Uh, if something's happening, we want to let people know about, we'll let them know about that. So, you know, for example, our discussion on the social dilemma, or we've, you know, put a new blog post up and we want to direct your attention to that, or here's a podcast we just did. So we use it to inform. And the, the informing is always to inform about something that will, you know, be helpful to people. Um, it's not, and so we say, it's not about me. Okay, so that's a bit, one basic rule. It's, it's not going to be about me. You're not going to see me posting. I mean, even right now, because it's not pretty to look at. I mean, my profile picture is not my face. Um, from time to time, people will say, you know, how come you don't put your, your face up as your profile picture? Well, you know, I mean, why do I need to do that? I mean, from time to time, you may see something like that just in jest and in fun. Um, so it's to inform, to educate. Uh, we want to let we want to take people deeper. Um, you know, so if we find something that we, we think is especially helpful to people, whether it be a quote from someone or, you know, you need to go check out something that someone else has written here. Maybe here's an article. So, so inform, educate, uh, encourage. We really want to encourage people. So I don't want to post things that are deliberately there to, to discourage a certain group of people. Ultimately, what we put up there, we want to see as an encouragement that would help them grow. And uh, so educate, equip, uh, educate, equip, inform, encourage. Well, educate. Yeah, I think I said that. Uh, and equip them, equip parents and equip youth workers to be better at what they are. And then the last thing I'd say is I love humor, but it's got to be appropriate humor. And so I really am careful with that. So a lot of times with all those parameters that are there, you know, it's like not about me and educate, equip, inform, um, encourage, and then use humor appropriately. There are many times when I'm ready to post something, but I take what I call a purposeful pause. Hmm. And I just go through all these questions. One of them is, is this about me? Is this about building up the kingdom of self. And if it is, or I cross over any other boundaries that I've set for myself, I delete it. It doesn't go up. So there is that that point of self-examination, and I hope over the course of time I'm learning how to do that, learning how to do that better. Mm. Yeah, well, there, there's so much wisdom there, and, and I hope you don't lose sight of the fact that um, I'm not going to say your age, uh, but you, you, you've been at this before. I can't believe <laughs> I, it. I mean, I'm, I just, it's hard. To, I don't feel that way inside, you know? Well, well I was going to say. Uh, I mean, you, you being older and wiser and you still being cautious of how you utilize this. Okay. Let, let's think about the 30 year old youth worker, the 20 year old youth worker. Um, and, and I hope some of them are listening to this and, and are giving pause to how they utilize it. But then let's also even say the teenager utilizing social media, the, the preteen, um, the fact that you and I just shared struggles that adults are dealing with, with these devices how much more concern should that create for us with preteens and teens utilizing these platforms uh, that we as adults are, are struggling with certain sin patterns. And we, we just need to be so aware of that. And then youth workers being aware of that, but then also youth workers modeling this to, to preteens and teens. And so 
I don't want to lose sight of the fact that, I mean, this is the, the focus of this season of the podcast is uh, not only us, I mean, we need to analyze our, our practices, but then turning that on, okay, how are we modeling this for the next generation? And we need to be having these open discussions as youth workers, as parents of th- this is evident in my own heart. I mean, I'm thinking of this. I mean, I've got a teenager in my house and, you know, a teenager who, who does have a smartphone and is wanting to utilize it. And I'm the, I think one parent who's not allowing so much to go on. And so I, I, I feel bad as, you know, I'm keeping this from my own daughter from being able to utilize this in the way that her friends are. Uh, but at the same time, continually having the conversation of, uh, you know, saying to, to Sarah, this is my own heart. Um, th- this is what we have to be cautious of as adults. And so um, this isn't just something, a teen issue that teens are struggling with. And so, well, I know we're drawing this to a close. One thing I did want to say before I, I'll, I'll let you kind of have a last word here. Um, I should have said this at the outset. Uh, many of our listeners know about the the track series that RYM has produced. And now we have three booklets in that uh, series. Walt is releasing one that should be coming out, Lord willing, in 2021 in June or July, uh, a student's guide to navigating culture. And so um, I know there's there's going to, going to be aspects of this conversation that find their way into that booklet, but that is going to be such a helpful guide for for students to be able to read, but then also parents and youth workers to read alongside their their students to so be looking for that. As I said in 2021, uh, Walt, just kind of a final word. Anything yeah. else that you would yeah. like to add as we close this out? Yeah, to spring off of something you just said, you sparked a couple of thoughts there, John, and that is, you know. I, I, as I look back over the course of my life, my awareness of the depth of my sin and depravity has only increased incrementally with each day. And I think that's a reality about sanctification. And if I was able to say something, you know, go back and somehow magically God gave me the opportunity to speak to my younger self when I started in ministry, I hope my younger self would listen to my older self to say, um, you know, I can, I can save you a lot of trouble, <laughs> but realize, you know, you need to, you need to lean in hard to your understanding of the depth of your own depravity and, and know the specific ways that the enemy is going to come at you. What are your specific ways of doing this? And I think with this topic of social media and the little bit that we've talked about here, there's so much more we could talk about to the young youth workers, I would say, if some of these things are new to you, the less aware you are now of just everything we've talked about, whether it be personal and, and human depravity or, you know, some of the, the the tough spots with social media and technology where we tend to get tripped up, the less aware you are of those things now, take that as a warning sign that you really need to step it up and be, uh, you know, I would say the more you need to beware. Hmm. You know, the less aware you are now, the more you need to beware because that's a tweetable quote right there. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I just wrote it down because as you were talking, I thought, you know, that would be a good way for me to be able to communicate that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's something I would like to be able to say to my younger self who never imagined a world with smartphones and social media. Hmm. Yeah. No, Walt, it's always encouraging to have conversation with you, to have you on the podcast. I really just appreciate you, all that you're doing at CPYU. Again, cpyu.org for those who are listening. Uh, So much uh, good stuff from the podcast to the parent page, all kinds of stuff that I'd like to point people to. So appreciate you helping us think through these issues. And Lord willing, we'll have you back on again one day. So hope you have a good day, Walt. Yeah, thanks, John. You too. Buy without money, oh, come and feast without.